today. I trust that I can get through this message as far as uh, the length I have. I've got a lot to tell you. <laughs> and uh, I'm hoping that I can do it in a concise way, a clear way, and, uh, and that uh, you'll gather what God wants to have for you and just throw away whatever else is not of, of God in all of this. But uh, we, we love people dearly and try to show it on a holiday such as this more than ever. And yet the Lord has clearly led that if I really love the men of our church, I will go ahead and bring this challenge today. Now, you know me as a person who loves conflict. Um, this is something that I don't wish to do very much. <clears throat> but um, just keep in mind that this is not about the past that has been forgiven in your life. Don't let Satan bring that back up again. If it's under, under the blood, it's forgiven. It's done. Move on. Um, so this is about the future uh, future pre uh, prevention, and also present progress, moving on from here and continuing. Now, about 20 years ago, uh, some of us were exposed to the television's portrayal of men behaving badly. I don't know if you remember that, that show. I, I don't think I ever watched it, uh, but I heard that it was a show about two men, one who was irresponsible and sloppy, and the other, because of his lifestyle, made that guy really look really, really good. <laughs> so it was an interesting uh, show, I guess. But I wonder how many of us have been exposed to the Bible's portrayal of men behaving godly. And I want us to look at that today. And in my search for some Father's Day videos, I came across this collection of moments when dads were let's say, maybe misbehaving. I cannot confirm nor deny any of those that I may have tried on my kids either. So but, uh, anyway, I trust that you would, uh, you would agree with me that what the world needs today is not more men behave, misbehaving <laughs> or behaving badly, but more men behaving godly. And uh, that is exactly what we're going to look at today, men behaving godly. Now, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 asks a very... A sobering question. It says, but a faithful man who can find? And if ever there was a day when our world needed faithful men, today is the day. And message, today's message is directed specifically, though, toward our men. So I'm sorry to exclude you ladies today. Uh, you can get something out of it, too, I'm sure, some way. But I figure none of you would mind if I spent one Sunday morning trying to help your husband, your boyfriend, your father, your brother, your son to shape up. And I'm sure you, you can appreciate that. One thing, though, that you ladies probably could do is maybe take notes so as to keep these guys accountable, right? So you can <laughs> remind them. Now, the men of America really need a wake-up call. Our world needs us today more than ever. Our world needs us to be godly men. Your wives need you. Your, your children need you. Your church, your business, your community, and your nation needs you to be a godly man. So what the world really needs today are men behaving godly. I'm convinced if our families are going to survive in the years ahead, they will need strong male leadership to do so. And if families are to survive, they will have to be led by godly husbands and godly fathers. Men will have to stop behaving badly and start behaving godly. And the family is the basic building block of all social structures. As the family goes, so goes all of society. And let me add to that statement and complete it by saying, as men go, so goes the family. When men are full, uh, fulfilling their God-given assignment as spiritual leaders in their homes, the home is stable, the home is secure, and it's also satisfying. 
But when families crumble and fall apart, it's most often the result of men failing in their God-given roles of spiritual leadership. When men fail, the home falls apart and all of society feels the repercussions as well. When men behave badly, society suffers. When men behave godly, society is strengthened. So let me, let, let me point uh, you to one of many passages that speak directly to the issue of men behaving godly. Uh, so if you can open your Bible to Psalm 112, we're going to look there and land there for, for quite a bit. Um, and as you turn to that psalm, Psalm 112, you'll notice that David is the author of this psalm. And David is a, a person that uh, pretty much could relate to every man in this place today because he experienced everything you experience as a man, and he usually excelled in everything he did. David can relate to us, and most of us can relate to him. So, so listen to what David has to say about men behaving godly. In Psalm 112, it says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. William Raspberry, he was a, an African-American columnist for the Washington Post. He said this about, uh, about uh, um, the state of, of fatherhood and all. He said, if I could offer a single prescription for the survival of America, and particularly black America, it would be restore the family. And if you asked me how to do it, my answer would be save the boys. And Psalm 112 tells us exactly where the whole process has to begin. And look closely here again at verse 1, Psalm 112. It says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Verse 1 gets right to the root of the problem for most men. Too many men do not have a healthy fear of God. And too many men do not find great delight in His commands. So when a man truly fears God and truly loves God's Word, that man is on his way to true godliness. His life is going to be productive and successful. Just look at some of the promises associated with a man who fears God and finds great delight in His commands. In Psalm 112, in verse, 12, uh, verse 2, excuse me, there is a promise concerning his children. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. In verses 3 and 4, there's a promise concerning his character. Wealth and riches are, are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And four times, four times in four verses, the Bible mentions this man's righteous character. In verse 5, there's a promise concerning his conduct. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. In verse 6, there's a promise concerning his commendation. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. And then in verses 7 and 8, there's a promise concerning 
his confidence. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. And in verse 9, there's a promise concerning his charity. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. And you look at verse 9 again. It says endures forever. How many of you men would like to uh, be this kind of man where these things are who you are? The place to begin is verse 1. We need to be a man who fears God and finds great delight in his commands. This passage sounds very similar to another passage that expresses the benefits and advantages of fearing God and loving God's word. Psalm, chapter, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 speak of the same thing. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This kind, this kind of man is what the world needs. This is, this is the kind of man that your wife needs. This is the kind of man that your children needs. This is the kind of man that our church needs as well. And just to be quite honest, it's the kind of man that's very hard to find these days. Unfortunately, there are more men behaving badly than there are men behaving godly. So today I want to challenge our men here today in four specific areas I believe will help all of us become uh, a Psalm 112 kind of man. Men behaving godly. So first of all, what we find here in the challenge is that we need, we need to acknowledge the power of your influence. Acknowledge the power of your influence. To those here today who are husbands and, and, and fathers, I want, I want you to realize the tremendous power of your influence you have on your marriage and on your children. So as husbands, you have a powerful influence upon your wife. You have incredible influence on your wife. Your wife's happiness and emotional security in life rests almost entirely upon you. Now, again, of course, Jesus is the one that we need to be resting in, and he's the one we need to draw from. But, guys, you're you're Jesus in skin, pretty much, for her. I believe this is exactly what the Bible means when it says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So being the head of your wife, sometimes that kind of rubs a little hard against women. Being the head of your wife does not mean you are her boss or her taskmaster. It does not mean you have the right to rule over her like a tyrant. Being the head of your wife means you have the responsibility for her well-being. You are her supply. You are the one who provides security satisfaction to her. You, when you love her in the same way Christ loves the church, she will be secure and satisfied and happy. Dr. Richard Halverson, chaplain of the United States Senate for many years, said it, said it this way, after 69 years of life and 42 years of marriage at that time, he says, it is my deep settled conviction that 100% of the responsibility for the sustenance of the marriage relationship belongs to the husband. The scriptures tell us that as husbands, we need to model ourselves after Jesus Christ, who gave himself up in every way in order to present his bride to himself without blemish or stain or spot or wrinkle. So as a husband, 
you have a powerful influence on your wife. As a father, you have a powerful influence on your children. Verses 1 and 2 tell us about that in Psalm 112. Dads, you need, to, you need to realize the tremendous impact you have on your children. In spite of what the world and media may say about your role, your children need you desperately. Just listen to some of these father figures uh, that I found out here. Fatherless daughters are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. Fatherless daughters are 111% more likely to have children as teenagers. Fatherless daughters are 164% more likely to have an out-of-wedlock birth. And uh, these fatherless daughters have a 92% higher divorce rate than girls raised with dads in the home. And fatherless sons are 35% more likely to experience marital failure, 300% more likely to become incarcerated in state juvenile institutions. They make up 70% of all juveniles in state institutions. It isn't a good sign. Good result. Fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school, high school, and they also have only half the chance of being high achievers. Fatherless children are also 50% more likely to have learning disabilities. And according to the National Center of Health Statistics, fatherless children are anywhere from 100 to 200% more likely to have emotional and behavioral problems. These uh, fatherless young adults are twice as likely to need and receive psychological help. And according to our nation's hospitals, 80% of adolescents admitted for psychiatric reasons come from fatherless families. From relationships, David T. Moore said this in his book, Five Lies of the Century. He said, from relationships, education, to mental instability, to crime, one factor looms as the most uh, significant contributor, a home without a dad. If you do have a two-parent uh, two, two home and assume all is fine, and we've got mom and dad here, we should be good. The statistics are, are similar for a one-parent home compared to a two-parent home when the dad isn't the spiritual leader he needs to be. So dads, be faithful to God. Be faithful to the church. Be faithful to lead your family in the right direction spiritually. Dad, you need to be behaving godly, or you're not only going to wreck your own family, you're going to wreck the life of your children as well. Your children need you more than you can possibly realize. And also in his book, David T. Moore's book, Five Lies of the Century, he says, the heart of every little boy and girl lies within a father's hands. Every broken promise and abusive word tears a hole that may never be mended. Maybe this is why the Bible gives such strong uh, instructions to dads on their responsibilities toward their children. In Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, talking about how the children are a heritage from the Lord. And like arrows in the hands of warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. And also in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And again in Colossians chapter 3, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Take a look at the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, and notice how often it makes reference to children following the same paths taken by their fathers, whether it be for evil or for good. Some, some follow the righteous example of godly fathers. Jehoshaphat, he followed the godly example. Uh, 
Uzziah also did, also followed the godly example. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. But then there's some who followed the godless and sinful examples their fathers had set. Think of Ahaziah, king of Israel, who followed his father Ahab. The Israelites, who it says here in Jeremiah 9, verses 13, 14, says it is because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them. They have not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead, they have followed the stubbornness of their hearts. They have followed the Baals as their ancestors taught them. If you fail to live and act in a godly way, you will pass that cycle of sin on to your children, as Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 speaks about. Acknowledge the power of your influence. As, as, as a husband, you have a powerful influence upon your wife. And as a uh, father, you have a powerful influence upon your children. So acknowledge the power of, your, power of your influence. Also, second thing, avoid the pitfalls of your masculinity. There are some pitfalls of your masculinity. I think I need to tell you guys that there are some hazards that come uh, with being male. Uh, the way we are built as the fallen sons of Adam can work against us. A lot of ways. We do not have a natural bent toward godliness. I don't know if anyone really does. In fact, our natural bent is towards sinfulness and selfishness. And men have their own unique brand of sinfulness and selfishness as well. So let me tell you about some common mistakes or or, or pitfalls that uh, we have to avoid in our families. And I think I I hear women getting the pencils ready. They're going to write these down. But let me give you six unique pitfalls that come with being a man and, uh, and will be reflected in your family life as well. So as husbands and fathers, the first one, we can be arrogant. We can be prideful. Someone has said it this way, men are 90% ego wrapped in skin. <laughs> and it's true, we, we men have our own unique version of pride and arrogance. We have this ego-driven mentality. Some men think they are like Rambo and John Wayne and Chuck Norris and Albert Einstein all wrapped up in together in one thing. But uh, you know, I'm sure, ladies, that uh, some of you would agree that if you could buy a man for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth, you'd make a huge profit. But, uh, but our pride, our pride is what drives most of the other common failures and mistakes we make as husbands and fathers. So don't be arrogant. Avoid pridefulness. And as husbands and fathers, another pitfall is that we can be autocratic, autocratic. Because most men have such a big ego, they really like to act like big bosses around the house sometimes. They misinterpret the passage of Scripture that talk of the husband as being the head of the wife, as to being her boss. Uh, So he acts like a, a tyrant around the house. But most men forget to read the passage closely in its context in Ephesians 5. It also says that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So if you are dictatorial, uh, demanding, controlling in your home, you're headed for serious trouble. Your children will rebel, and your wife's spirit will close up to you. Don't be autocratic. As husbands and fathers, another pitfall is that we can be absentee. We can be absentee. The worst thing a man can do is to walk out on his family. It's the most brutal of all crimes a man can commit. Have you noticed how bad men are running rapid in our culture these days? Families are falling apart. Over 15 million kids are growing up in homes without any father figure, and 70% of men in prison grew up without a father. Once a child psychologist writes, we see more children who show symptoms of stress, headaches, stomach aches, low mood, 
learning problems. As they get older, many of them feel they've missed an important part of their life. They feel used and abused. My concern is if they don't feel cared about, they can, then they can't ever care about anyone else, let alone themselves. We may be creating a large number of children who are emotional misfits. Your kids need a dad that is there day and night. Dad that is present, not absentee. A dad that is there to help them with their homework. Dad that is there to take them on long walks, to get involved in their lives, to go to school programs and parents' nights, to talk to, 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 talk to when they are hurting and confused, to tuck them into bed every night, to pray with them, teach them the scriptures, model their lives after, wrestle with on the floor and have tickle fights, show them how to relate to other people and teach them respect, teach them discipline. Your kids need a dad. Your kids need a full-time dad, not a part-time one. And it's still possible to be at home every night, sleep there overnight, be there, but still be an absentee father. If you come home late every night, if your career keeps you from getting involved in your kids' lives, if you don't have time or take time to build your relationship with your wife and your children, if you're too busy or too tired to connect with them emotionally, then you're guilty of being an absentee father as well, even though you still sleep there at home. There are a lot of, a lot of stats about fathers who have, uh, have difficulties and come up against an insurmountable mountain of, uh, uh, of weight as being a father. Uh, I heard a recent study that indicated that the average dad spends 38 seconds a day talking to his children. And I believe... I believe here in this community, in this church family, that is totally false. That does not fall into place at all. But 38 seconds a day talking to his children? Wow. Some of you dads are wondering why your sons and daughters might be acting out and showing signs of rebellion. (laughs) Uh, If they're not spending time with your kids, that's going to be a problem. Maybe the rebellion and misbehavior is a desperate cry for some love and attention from dad. And maybe some of you right now are, are having the, that song from Harry Chapin going through your head about cats in the cradle. Probably ringing through your, your ears right now. Not long after his song hit the charts, Harry Chapin began to wonder why he was not paying attention to what he was singing about. If you don't know that song, you need to listen to it. It's uh, very sobering as a father. But he decided the following summer he was going to make some changes and he was going to cancel some engagements. and He was going to slow down. And that same summer, Harry Chapin was killed in an automobile accident. If you're going to take some changes, take them now, do them now, make them now, you better start today, because tomorrow may be too late. Do it now. Don't be an absentee father. And as husbands and fathers, another pitfall is that we can be abusive. Now, again, I might not be speaking, I might be preaching to the choir right now, and that's fine. But maybe you know somebody that needs to hear about this as well. This might be helpful. But the rate of men abusing their wives and children seems to be rising exponentially these days. I think we are living in such stressful and demanding times that a lot of men are kind of like a a volcano, ready to erupt and explode. They're taking out their frustrations and fears on their wives and children. And by the way, you don't have to be inflicting physical pain to be guilty of abusing your wife and children. You can be guilty of abusing them by the way you talk to them, always criticizing and berating them. 
by the way you try to control and manipulate them, by the way you dominate their lives and oppress them verbally and emotionally. It doesn't mean physically abusive. It can happen emotionally as well. Some men are rough and violent in their emotions and attitudes. They may never hit their wife or child to leave a physical bruise on them at all, but the way they treat them and talk to them is beating them down daily and leaving emotional scars that, that may never go away. So watch out for the pitfall. Do, don't be abusive. As husbands and fathers, another pitfall is that we can be aloof. <laughs> There's a nice little word, aloof. Maybe the pitfall of masculinity uh, we husbands and fathers must fall into often is this, this pitfall of aloofness. Men are not usually very relational by, by nature. They are more loners by nature. That's why most of us have to fight against our nature and let God make us something different than we are by nature and temperament. Most of us are aloof by nature. And, and that funny-sounding word, aloof, it just means being emotionally distant, cold, silent, standoffish, unaffectionate, withholding affections and, 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 and expressive love. So be careful, because your wife and children might interpret your silence, your aloofness, as rejection. And that, that's probably not what you're trying to communicate. It's most likely that your wife and kids are starving for your affection and approval. They want dad to come down from the masculine throne where he's living and touch their lives with his love, with, with, with your affection, with your approval. Of all the pitfalls that men face, aloofness is probably the most widespread among us. And we need to reach out and begin touching our families with our love and acceptance, tangible ways, letting them know that we love them. Writing notes to them. It might be out of your character, but boy, you'll throw them for a loop if you get out of that aloofness and show them your love, your care for them. And, and finally, a sixth pitfall as husbands and fathers is that we can be angry. We can be angry. There are wives who are married to angry men, and there are many children who are being raised by angry fathers. You know, we get angry. Most of us don't know what we're angry about, <laughs> But we are angry and hostile in our personalities, and, and, and our anger is revealed regularly through maybe our tempers that are violent and sharp, maybe through our words that are hostile and hateful, maybe through our attitudes, which are bitter and negative. Men, do you, do you want to know if you're angry on the inside? Just monitor yourself when you're driving, when you're on the road out there. Pay attention. Are you always driving down the road yelling at other drivers? Maybe shaking your fists at them. We're all angry probably, right? <laughs> yeah, how did you get that black eye? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just monitor the way you react when things don't go according to your plans. Or the way you respond to your wife and children when they don't act exactly like you think they should. A lot of men are behaving badly because they have allowed themselves to become angry men. So watch out for that pitfall. Don't be angry. Avoid these pitfalls of your masculinity. Um, also, a third thing I want to share with you, and I think we can gather here from this uh, Psalm 112. Arrange the priorities of your life. Arrange the priorities of your life. Now, would some of you agree with me that uh, there are times when a whole lot of us have our priorities all out of whack? 
They're just kind of messed up. Some of us know we have our priorities out of line, but we don't have any idea what to do about it. Or we don't have the moral spiritual fortitude to do something about it. Industry Week magazine surveyed managers across the country and asked what they worried most about. And the answers revealed a pretty incredible twisted agenda. Number one concern, personal health. Number two concern, lack of time. Go down to number five, personal investment. Number six was estate planning. Number seven was their relationship with their children. Number 10 was their marriage. Only two of the top 10 worries related to a man's personal world, and they ranked number seven and 10. Would you say a lot of these guys have their priorities a little bit whacked out? I believe we see a scale of right priorities here implied in, in the first three verses of this Psalm 112. Verse 1 speaks of a man's relationship with his God. Verse 2 speaks of, of a man's relationship with his family. And verse 3 speaks of a man's relationship with himself, the, the inner life, the, the, the character. These should be the first three things that every man should uh, remain focused on. God, family, and then his inner character, his inner life. Man's first priority must be to God. We, we need to turn to him. We need to seek him as Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 talks about. But the first priority you have, guys, in life is to be a godly man and to have a passion for God. So is Jesus Christ your first love? Is he your passion? Do you think about him more than you think about sports or your job or retirement? Do you give him the first place in your, in your time priorities? Do you give him first place in your finances? Do you talk about him as naturally in your daily conversations as you do the, la the latest standings in baseball or football or NASCAR? Do you have a hunger and a passion to know him better? Are you pursuing the knowledge of Christ through prayer, the study of God's word, and submitting yourself to Bible teaching and preaching? You know, if you want to know who or what is first place in your life, just evaluate who or what consumes most of your mental energy and your calendar space. So ask yourself, what or, or who do I think about the most? Or who or what consumes most of my time? And then the answer that is revealed to you will reveal to you your priorities and who is first place. God must be your first priority. And then also, too, a man must make a priority of his family. Most men are, are, are failing when it comes to their families and the time and getting in touch with them and communicating with them and leading them. By nature, most men are, are task-oriented, and most men tend to find their identity in their work, what they do. And it's the first question you ask another guy, hey, what do you do? Where do you work? So they tend to take their jobs way too seriously and neglect their families because of it. There is no career, and listen very carefully, there is no career, not even ministry, worth losing your marriage or your children over. There is no career. A man must make a priority of his family. And then in verse 2, we also see a man must make a priority of developing inner character and personal righteousness. The, uh, verse 2 there talks about a man who has made a priority of developing inner character, personal righteousness, and just, just look closely at the kind of man this, this guy is. He is righteous, he is gracious and compassionate, Generous and giving, just and fair. He has great faith. He trusts trust in his God. And he is reliable and fearless. He will never be shaken. 
I guess this is the Proverbs 31 person for the guys. Psalm 112. The guys need to turn to and be reminded of who we need to be. Let me make a suggestion to you, guys. Make a priority of developing your inner character and your personal righteousness. Going after God. Making Him priority. Let me challenge you. Start giving as much attention to those things as you might give to your careers or maybe making money. Your wife and children don't want a rich husband and father nearly as much as they want a righteous husband and father. So are you a righteous man? Are you a man of character? So arrange the priorities of your life. And finally, fourth thing we can gather out of this, Psalm 112 is assume the place of your responsibilities. Assume the place of your responsibilities. I see several places of responsibility for the righteous man implied here in Psalm 112. One of them is assume your financial responsibilities. The man spoken of here in the psalm was evidently very responsible with his finances. Verse 3, here's a man who is taking leadership of his household finances. He's a man who is careful, wise, and frugal. He exercises discipline in his spending. So don't miss the fact that generosity is a major part of his financial uh, stewardship. Verse 5, it is well with a man who deals generously and lends. Verse 9, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. So generosity is a major part of that. This, This guy is not spending all his money on himself, but he's giving much of his prosperity away. But there are a lot of Christian men who are choking the blessings of God in their lives because they are so selfish with their money. They hold on to it so tightly. They're spending everything they make on themselves, and they are not giving anything away. They are not making strong investments in the kingdom of God. So assume your, uh, your financial responsibilities. Another thing we can, uh, another responsibility we can assume is assume your spiritual responsibilities. Psalm 112 describes a person who finds great delight in God's commands. Are you finding great delight in God's commands? Do you realize God has given you the responsibility of spiritual leadership in your families, in your communities, and here in this church? Do you realize someday you're going to give an accounting back to God on how you conducted your life and how you led your family spiritually? Better not leave the religious stuff up to your wife. You better assume your responsibility as a spiritual leader in your home. And if you're doing that, God bless you. Continue to do that. Assume your spiritual responsibilities. And then, uh, finally, assume your family responsibilities. We see that in verse 2 as he focuses on his children. For some, it's, it's time for a wake-up call. Your wife might be silently crying for your love and attention. Your children, your children could be starving for some unconditional love and approval from dad. Don't lose your family by burying your head in the sands of careers and busyness. We need to get our heads out of the sand and get back to our wives and children and be men of God. So in closing, what I'd like to do is share a poem that I came across recently. It's a little older one, but I think it speaks volumes about fatherhood. One day when Bruce was just a lad, first starting out in school, he came into my workshop and climbed upon a stool. Saw him as he entered, but I hadn't time to play. So I merely nodded to him and said, don't get in the way. He sat a while just thinking as quiet as could be. Then carefully he got down and came and stood by me. He said, old Shep, he never works and he has lots of fun. 
He runs around the meadows and barks up at the sun. He chases after rabbits and always scares the cats. He likes to chew on old shoes and sometimes mother's hats. But when we're tired of running and we sit down on a log, I sometimes get to thinking, I wish my daddy was a dog. Now I know you work real hard to buy us food and clothes, and, uh, and you need to get the girls those fancy ribbon bows. But sometimes, when I'm lonesome, I think I'd be lots of fun, it, it would be lots of fun, if my daddy was a dog and all his work was done. Now when, I, when he'd finished speaking, he looked so lonely there, he reached my hand out to, to him, I reached my hand out to him and ruffled up his hair. And as I turned my head aside to brush away a tear, I thought how nice it was to have my son so near. I know the Lord didn't mean for me to toil his whole life through. Come on, my son, I'm sure I have some time for you. You should have seen the joy and sunlight in his eye as we went outside to play, just my son and I. Now, as the years have flown and youth has slipped away, I've tried always to remember to allow some time to play. When I pause to reminisce and think of joys and strife, I carefully turn the pages of this wanderer's book of life. I find the richest entry recorded in the daily log is the day that small boy whispered, I wish my daddy was a dog. I'm going to have the worship team come on up, and they're going to lead us in a couple songs and conclude our time here together. But let me tell you this, don't let your kids go on wishing daddy were a dog today. Take some time. And I'm not talking about dads with little you know, young kids. Those grown-up grown up kids need your time as well. And I hope that those who are here today, those fathers who are here today who have grown adult kids, realize that you also too can be responsible for some of these things in, in your life to express to your adult kids. You're not off the hook. <laughs> and, and, you know just because you have the adult children. But it's, it's, it's time some of us men stopped behaving badly and started behaving godly. Some of, some of you are going to put this off. You're going to shrug off what God is trying to say to you today. That happens. You're going to convince yourself that you can deal with all this later. And some of you are going to wait until it's too late. And guys, it's time to begin dealing with the spiritual condition of your life right now. Today, not later on. Some of you have been hearing this for some time, maybe from your wife, maybe from your children. Now you've heard it today from your friend and pastor. Hopefully you have heard it from God in your heart as well. God is calling some of you men today to make some serious changes in your life. Today, not tomorrow. I wonder if there are maybe some men here today who are ready to respond to God today and quit ignoring God. However you're going to respond to him, do it. Do it. But I wonder if there are some men here today who are willing to be ready to follow after God as he has called you to be men behaving godly. We need, we need you. <laughs> we need you dearly. Your children need you. Your wife needs you in that way. Your church needs you in that way. I trust that God, as he's spoken to your heart, you will respond in obedience to what he has for you.